Happy NBA Finals Eve to everyone. John and I want to go back, take a look at some of our pre-playoffs predictions, see where we went right, where we went wrong. And then also we're going to talk about some of our most intriguing free agents and trade candidates here as we start to get into that season. So let's just rehash here, John. We can even go through series by series to look at it if you remember what your predictions were. I think I remember what mine were. Uh, First off, who did you have in the finals? I had Phoenix and Boston. And I had Golden State and Milwaukee, although I foolishly changed my Golden State pick to Dallas before that series. So I actually was smarter at the start of the playoffs than I was uh after seeing it two rounds worth of, of basketball so uh yeah i don't know what that says exactly maybe i'm better at the long view um what did you see in boston at the time that made you think that, that they were going to get here even because you, you didn't know at that point that chris middleton was going to get hurt Correct. Uh, what did you see that made you think boston was going to get here i just thought their depth of quality to to have seven true playoff caliber players that to choose from in their mix. And I thought it made them more resilient to injuries, which inevitably happened to all these teams. And I th- I thought their I thought their defense was just so solid that they'd be able to stand up even against, you know, going against Durant, Giannis, Butler back to back to back. Uh and then the lack honestly of a dominant team too. Like I thought Milwaukee this year was not quite what they had been. Uh I think that showed itself in the po- in the postseason that they missed a couple guys. Um uh, obviously not having Middleton also impacted that series greatly as well. Um but uh and then them having home court in that series like that was a significant factor in my picking them to get out of the second round was them yeah. having that that home court. I thought Milwaukee made a mistake not going for that just to duck Brooklyn in the first round because if you're if you're really gunning for championship level outcomes any series against a 7 seed shouldn't alter your strategy. Yeah, and perhaps the fact that Boston swept them might have shown that. But I also think that Boston matched up way better with Brooklyn than Milwaukee did, uh, particularly since they didn't have P.J. Tucker anymore. And I think they just had memories of what a war it was the previous season even without uh, Kyrie and they just realized that they probably against I mean not exactly the same team because uh, they had Patty Mills instead of Jeff Green but Jeff Green didn't even play in the first I think four games of that series last year I think they just remembered that and they're like hey this is this is a little bit uh, too concerning and the Bulls are going to be such an easy matchup as well that we'll come in we're rested and stuff yeah I picked Milwaukee nonetheless I feel that given how close that series was that had Middleton have been available, I don't know for sure if it would have happened because Boston did win the games that they won, I think all by double digits or close to it. But I think Milwaukee would have taken that series if they'd had Chris Middleton. What do you think of that as we look back on it now? I think it's certainly if you're a Milwaukee fan, that's definitely what you're going to say going into the offseason, right? <laughs> yeah, um, or, if you, or certainly if you pick Milwaukee. Yeah, uh, I, I think that there is a defensible case for that. Um, and we'll never know if it's true or not. But and then Celtics fans will, of course, retort that, you know, we had some injuries of our own. Yeah, yeah. And that's I think that's what was probably to me most prescient about your Boston pick was 
just that they were able to be resilient and while they have eight guys and you're like okay that's and maybe kind of a, a ninth with is Pritchard their eighth guy or ninth guy when so home? Pritchard and Tice are kind of eight and nine right so they have yeah, seven okay. that they truly trust and then there's two other guys they can play in a game and it probably won't be a disaster and then after yeah. that it just falls off a cliff well and also Tatum and Brown can easily play like 42 minutes a game when you have just like two guys like that if they're not in yeah trouble, wing players just- and their mid-20s like yeah you, that's the sweet spot right yeah so in any event yeah i think that's what you saw is just that boston was able to be pretty resilient the other reason that i wasn't too into boston was i felt that rob williams just wasn't going to be back he did come back in that four to six week timeline like they talked about but then somewhat predictably since i predicted it uh really struggled uh, with that knee wasn't the same he had games where he had a lot of impact other games he just wasn't able to play or like game seven against miami was just a a total shell so that was you know somewhat uh, that did kind of come true and i probably just really understated how good boston would be even without him available so I, I mean Boston is a great team. Like I, I was very much on the fence between them and Milwaukee, and then you know once Middleton went down, I I picked Boston. And Miami was also a worthy foe. Maybe if they were whole, they would have beaten Boston. But Boston also had had a bunch of injuries as well. I still think Boston probably would have would have taken it against them. But the, the East, and then the other thing that you and I really got wrong, obviously, was Toronto and Philly. But I yeah. think in the end, given some of the games in that series, and then how Philly just totally self destructed by the end against Milwaukee that we were probably right to doubt them yeah just uh, maybe a little too much faith in Toronto and how they matched up against Philly yeah uh I agree and uh, you know Toronto had some some injury issues uh, as well with Barnes you know if he doesn't miss a couple of games and Van Vliet so in the West, obviously, the big surprise was Phoenix not making it. I yep. don't think it was since since you and I called it the perhaps most shocking individual game in NBA history. What happened to them <laughs> in that game <laughs> right. seven? Um, I mean, I probably like knowing, and also let's keep in mind too, uh, Luca. We didn't know when he was coming back at the start of the playoffs. It was so easy to Absolutely. forget that given where yeah. they ended up. But I thought they were going to just lose to Utah, and then I thought Phoenix was just going to crush Utah, which I'm sure they would have. Yes. So Dallas being as good as they were, or Utah as bad as they were, without Luca was something that I didn't necessarily see coming. And then, you know, I I, th- I picked Phoenix in seven. Like, I thought that was a closer matchup than a lot of people thought, and it just turned out that Dallas crushed him in that game seven yeah i mean still an interesting series overall for phoenix i think i mean dallas was not a great team uh they they had luca they had role players they had a system that worked for them but this was not this was not an overwhelming opponent and if you're if you're phoenix it's a little bit of a uh letdown i guess off a 64 win season and making the finals last year and really looking like you were maybe the best team in the league they did not look like they were the best team in really the whole playoffs they didn't look like they were the best team in the league yeah those first two games against dallas they did and and probably game one against the pels too before Mm -hmm. booker got hurt but yeah i and maybe it was cp's injury and uh but also i i'm I still don't want to go too far on Dallas not being really good. Let's see what happens in these finals. Like if Golden State wins the finals in five games, all of a sudden you might be like, oh wait, this Warriors team was just unbelievable. And it it just, it kind of hasn't seemed like that as we've gone through the playoffs, Sean, but like, you know, they won in five easy games, went up 3-0 in the first round against a Denver team that had the MVP and was a really good offense. And yeah, they made Denver look really bad defensively. Like the Golden State has been the number one offense in the playoffs. 
uh, which I think a lot of people didn't see coming when they were like in the teens during the regular season. Although I think when we, when you and I went through and ranked it, we're like, ah, these guys could be pretty good if they get everyone together. And then, uh, you know, Memphis was a really good team. Yes, Golden State looked like shit the last three games of that series, although they did win two of those three games. They're they're at home. There was no job, but that kind of Memphis was a pretty good matchup against Golden State. But still, like they were up three one as the road team. Like they, you can't really ask much more than that. And then they're up three zero against Dallas. So like they've really even though it's kind of seemed weird at times like at the end of that memphis series where you're like okay how good are these guys really if you look at this the overall path like it's been a pretty dominating playoffs for golden state and you would actually i think if golden state wins you would actually ask yourself from memphis you'd actually go back and say wait how, how good is memphis then like what does that mean for memphis next year right where, yeah. where, where all of a sudden you're them saying well wait a minute we we lost jaw in the middle of the series and we still basically went toe-to-toe with these guys like what, what does that mean for them yeah now i will say that Ja totally messes up memphis's defense i think in a way that like when they didn't have any weak links anymore and also dylan brooks wasn't basically didn't play in games two and three like that would that made it much easier offensively for golden state but yeah i, I think you make a good point here we'll see what ends up happening in these this finals as we transition to that now is i have no idea what's going to happen this is the hardest pick for me that i think i've ever had to make on and i prognosticated every playoff series since 2015 i don't think i've ever struggled this much making a, a pick how do you feel about it uh i similar i i am very excited about this finals because i feel like it's a six or seven game series almost guaranteed and uh hopefully injuries won't mar that because that's obviously the wild card right but i i just i see a real even matchup and i'm really excited for it what's your pick i'm gonna go with boston i'm gonna say i'm gonna say six because that would be their last home game so if you're gonna say boston's gonna win you'd say they were more likely to win in six than in seven most likely even though they did it the wrong way the last two times and blew it when they had a clincher on their home court i think this is the (laughs) finally the series where they where they clinch it on their home court so i actually went boston in seven and it just seems like it certainly could be Boston in six, and I consider Boston a very slight favorite in the series. But also, Golden State getting some of their guys back, I think, really helps as well. And you know, Danny picked Golden State in seven. Have you seen anyone picking Golden State in less than seven? Uh, I haven't really cast a wide net, but I can't say that I have. Yeah, yeah, I guess I haven't cast the wide because I usually try to avoid reading anybody else's previews until I do mine, and I did mine late yesterday, so I haven't had a chance to catch up. But on as much of what everyone else has read but it, it does seem like it would be hard to pick golden state in less than seven and i also i just it feels like six for boston is just it's just too few because it's really hard to me for the road team to ever win it in less than six unless it's just a total mismatch which i don't think this is and yeah. so it's like that's if that's going to be their first chance to potentially win it it's like i, I i'm not sure that i see boston winning it in the fewest possible games that i think they realistically could and also just the this is something that kevin pelton has pointed out since really 2016 road game sevens it's actually been been more winnable same yeah yeah there hasn't been that same crazy historical bent uh, that there used to be where they're winning 80 percent of the time the home team is winning game seven yeah and we just saw it obviously with uh boston against miami 
and Dallas against Phoenix. Is that actually, yeah, those are the only two game sevens, right? This playoffs? Boston, oh, no, there's, Boston, there's Milwaukee. A Boston, Milwaukee. Yeah. So two of the three game sevens in these playoffs have been won by the road team. Yeah. Because we didn't have a seven in the first round, right? Yeah. Which is too bad, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. I think to me, this is my initial thought. And we don't need to get too deep into the preview because I did basically an hour on this with Danny yesterday. And for those of you who want to listen, that's a, a public podcast. And I'm sure you're going to write more on this as well. But I think that boston going against golden state's defense that to me seems like i got a pretty good handle on that like i think they're gonna kind of struggle they'll have some good moments maybe they'll get out and transition sometimes off of their defense they're gonna shoot a lot of threes there'll be some games where white and smart make their shots other one and horford other ones where you know they're not making them but i think boston is gonna struggle to score in the aggregate against golden state's defense particularly if they get peyton and iguodala back well there's one wild there's one wild card with that though right which Which is is the live ball turnovers oh yeah yeah that's that's what i was just saying yeah i mean that's if that's uh but in the half court i think sure i don't think boston is gonna do amazingly well against golden state like i I think they're gonna be uh, like I, i think as we look at it will be like okay like golden state is holding them down pretty well in the half court that'll that's what i think is gonna happen okay um because as you look at it golden state when draymond played this season and also when they had peyton and iguodala available basically the first half of the year until january their defense was basically the equal of boston's defense where they're two three points per 100 better than the league average and that's where boston was the second half of the year so i think yeah. golden state now if pool plays more then maybe it's a little more difficult but uh and with pool and clay they're probably not quite at the level they were at the very beginning of the year but they have more firepower on offense but i think this golden state defense to me is actually pretty close to boston defense um my big variable is what happens on the other how does how does boston deal with all the all the random stuff they do with curry and because it's a different kind of thing than what they've faced these last couple couple rounds where it's more I mean Golden State just you're it's just a very different thing than almost any other NBA offense runs especially when you get to playoff yeah. time right yeah but also this Boston defense you know in theory you're like hey Golden State doesn't rely on attacking one guy but they also found their way to go after Luca and Morant and Tyus Jones and obviously Jokic in the first round especially at the end of games they find their way to, to that weak link even though they're moving the ball and they're not just all right come up here and set a pick and roll with yeah. the weakest guy um and this boston team other than when peyton pritchard is on the floor just has nowhere really to attack at all and that's i think this is the best defense that golden state has faced basically in this whole run i mean actually one of the better ones to guard them was probably uh you guys in 2015 but yeah uh but then you you got in tony allen got injured and he couldn't play on offense so it got worse but and the 2015 warriors were playing Bogut and Draymond together the whole time like it wasn't really the Warriors quite yet. it was it was it was a different era I mean the, yeah. the bar for for what constituted a quote-unquote good offense was just different then too yeah but, and gold that team that Golden State team was really a defense first team uh back then but yeah I think this Boston team particularly if Rob Williams is healthy to me is the best equipped to guard Golden State since they started their I would agree with that um I'd agree more if I knew what I, they were getting out of Rob Williams. 
That yes. is a little bit of a concern. Yeah, because he, to me, is the X factor when it's like, okay, not only can we switch everything, but then we also have this guy on the back line who is going to make these layups that are usually wide open for you uncomfortable. Same as Jaron Jackson in the second round. And we've seen those really athletic rim protectors can bother this team a little bit, uh, particularly if they have some mobility. But it's just a question of whether Rob is gonna, how much he's going to be available. The format of this series versus the last series, I think, will be advantageous for well, really for a couple of these guys on both teams. Yeah. You know, where instead of every other, we only have we only have one stretch that's every other. It's games three and four in Boston. And otherwise, there are two days off between every single game. So these guys like Porter and Rob Williams and Marcus Smart a little bit that have kind of been playing half healthy, let's say, have more of a chance to recover from each of these efforts. No, I think that's right. I still, though, even with the longer breaks, the fact that I think Boston can play like Tatum and Brown 43 minutes a game, and I don't think Kerr wants to go more than 40 with any of his guys, I think that that could maybe matter in, on the margin on some of these games. I could see that. Absolutely. There's there's always going to be a high-level win creator on the floor for Boston and you could say the same for Golden State because they, they can bring in Poole but Poole is such a liability at the other end we, you know that's going to be a little bit of a cat and mouse game right to hide him yeah yeah I think he on the one hand and Williams on the other are just the two biggest wild card in this series and, and the ones that can really change what the other team is trying to do both for good or, or for bad uh let's just pick a, an MVP of the playoffs right now we, well actually let me ask you this first would you have voted Jimmy Butler, Eastern Conference Finals MVP? I would have. Uh, Tatum was a defensible choice. I mean, their numbers weren't that different statistically because Butler had a couple stinkers in the middle. Yeah. So it was it was a defensible choice. I, I just thought I just thought Butler between his defense and the way he carried Miami's offense in the games where they won, I, I just thought he was more a little more impactful and valuable, I guess. I mean, Jimmy Butler was the best player in the series, full stop. Yeah, that's another way of saying it. Yeah. Like if you just, hey, watch the games, man. Like Jimmy Butler was the best player in the series, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it frankly wasn't close. Now, in terms of value, quote unquote, because he basically essentially missed three games. So. Right. He missed missed the second half of the one. And then the next two games, he was he was he was out, except he was on the court. Right. Like he, <laughs> he, he was he was there, but he wasn't there. Right. Right. Uh, but so who would your MVP of the playoffs be? Butler as of right now uh I I might go Luca I mean well this is this is another thing I talked about with Danny I think Steph Curry was more valuable than Luca in and I, I think he was the best player in the West final rather than okay Luka. that that's a fair fair thing to say I, I mean that last game certainly Luca was pretty bad uh and yeah and, you and he had see a bad a, game one too and you could see other moments like in the game two comeback where I thought his his defense and his conditioning did catch up to him yeah I think Steph like they tried to run every pick and roll at Steph and like he I mean obviously he wasn't switching on to Luca but like he held up pretty well in the hedging and and in their team system whereas Luca was a a pretty massive liability in all but game four to me so I and I think you know Steph it's arguable to me that Steph was had as much of an offensive impact as Luca did in the series certainly Clay and Poole were important too and their passing is important but and when you saw just the parade to the rim that the Warriors had 
had throughout most series. Like it's Steph Curry, like they had to put two on the ball in every pick and roll. The, the thing him. about the thing about Curry offensively, obviously, is how much he impacts the game without ever even touching the ball. Yeah, because just the the absolute panic on defenses of giving him any kind of look above the three point line. Yeah, I mean, Golden State scored 123 points per 100 against a Dallas defense that really, other than a couple of games, shut down the number one offense in Utah, and then the last five games of the series really defended another great offense in Phoenix extremely well. So, and Golden State just made them look stupid out there at times. Yeah. Which, I mean, that was the biggest shock of, of that series uh, to me, uh, that I thought Dallas would be able to switch a little bit more, but that didn't really work at all either. I thought it worked best out of anything, but it still didn't really work very well. And so, yeah, I guess, I mean, probably, yeah. And then Luca missed time in the beginning as well. I mean, there's no perfect candidate. Tatum would have to be up there too. Yeah, but there's not, there's not a Giannis this year, I don't feel like. Yeah. Well, or, or a, or a Durant there, there was for that a Giannis, matter. but he only played two rounds. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think it would still have to be, as we talked about last week, like Steph, Luca, Tatum, Butler, Giannis would be like my first team all playoffs. I think it probably would have to be. I mean, Butler had four 40 point games playoffs. Like he, yeah. he his yeah. lows were a little bit lower, but he had the highest highs. I mean, that game six is, I oh, think, put it in the, the Pantheon, right? Like that right. was, I mean, that was one of the 10 yeah. best playoff games of this yeah. century, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Especially like against that team on the road. Yeah, in those circumstances, in an elimination game, absolutely. All right, let's get into some free agency here. We may not finish all of this, but I wanted to talk about just some of the most intriguing trade and free agent candidates out there. We haven't talked about this beforehand. Give me, I don't know, did you put it in order one to five or did you just pick five? Uh, I kind of just picked five, but I there was one guy in particular who stood out to me as number one. All right, let's 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 just get it over with so people don't have to listen to the rest of the podcast after this. Let's, let's, let's pick number one. <laughs> the, the most interesting free agent? Yes. Colin sexton really that's that's your most interesting one huh yeah I, or, or free agents oh free agent slash trade candidate but yeah among free agents that's so explain why i understand where you're coming from here i think but explain what your your thought i think there's an incredible disparity between the perception of what he's worth and what he's actually worth and i'm wondering where cleveland falls along that line and what is going to happen to bridge the reality gap here and if there is another team willing to willing to step it like are other teams are other teams even that interested in him i wonder um and if so at what price and what is cleveland's price like i i know this this is one that could end up going to the qualifying offer i think so you said there's an enormous gap between the perception of his value and his actual value i'm 90 percent sure what you mean by that but i actually kind of think there's an argument the other way around potentially okay as uh, as well but I assume you mean that his perceived value is much higher than his actual value. Now, do you mean yes. that on the court or like what he's actually going to get in terms of money? I mean, like to me, he's a mid-level guy and all the talk wow. out there has been like, should they, you know, should they give him a max extension? Which to me is like, you got to be out of your freaking mind to give this guy a max, right? And I don't think that was ever going to happen. So, but even, okay. But, like even the, the reporting him- has kind of indicated that I think it's been in a range between like, you know 17 and 22 or 23 per year something like that which i i realize you think is too high but that's the max starts at 30 so that's that i think yeah. that's a little bit I, I don't think there's ever been an indication that like he was you know max or nothing motherfucker chandler parson right. style okay okay too soon um <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, I, didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Cleveland's also it's, got a tax juggle here, uh, which gets a little interesting. They got a Levert potential extension, which I, th- I think is another one they probably should avoid. Um, they're just like, there's this real potential for that. I know they have Kevin Love coming off, so that's going to ease some of this. But then Garland gets paid next year. Like they they got some, some cap management issues now and some players coming up where like you're either paying them 20 million just to be kind of average guys like i i I don't know i (laughs) it's a it's a really interesting spot they're in yeah i mean between lavert at 19 next year marketing at 16.5 jetty osmond 7.4 okoro at seven and yeah and then whatever sexton is gonna get you know you know jared out and then love is 29 for a guy who's gonna play 25 minutes a game max now yeah as you mentioned love comes off but then garland's extension kicks in if they give either sexton or lavert a long-term deal that's you're not gonna have any cap space next year either um yeah to me sexton is fascinating in a couple of ways i had him on my list too okay there's another like player who statistically to me is somewhat similar okay anthony simons i think simons is probably deemed to be better than him at this point Mm -hmm. and then you also have i think two somewhat similar players who are going to be extension eligible this offseason in jordan pool and tyler hero i would guess that hero and pool are considered to have a little bit better profile than certainly sexton and then maybe simons but these are all kind of not really point guards but are so i guess they're twos but they can't really defend it all can shoot can score it's somewhat similar profile of players and i think it's gonna be very interesting to see how the league values those sorts of guys right are they are these guys really more like six men are they lou williams style guys or are they actually going to get paid like you know because these are guys who could potentially score a reasonably efficient 20 to 25 points a game but they don't do much else at least at this point in time like how is the league going to value those kind of guys i think is a fascinating question but so so you really you wouldn't pay colin sexton more than the mid-level like that would just be your extension offer to him if you're Cleveland. yeah that's that's probably about what you know i okay maybe i'd go a little above that just to you know re- retain the upside possibility that okay he's 24 or whatever like he can still get better but i don't know like to go if you're going to do four years for him like 55 that that i don't know that's kind of where i where i top out like i i just we have proof of concept that him being out has no impact on the Cavaliers, right? Well, even when they're backing I, I, him up with random. Well, no impact. I mean, they have one guy on the team who can dribble, and maybe a second with Lavert. But like, I think Sexton is better than Lavert. Lavert's got like a little more size in theory, so he's not going to get attacked as much. But he's not good defensively. Like Colin Sexton, actually, I think is an efficient scorer in this. He is. He is an efficient scorer. It just it comes at a cost of any. And you, other, like you got. I, of any other player touching yeah. the ball but yes you, you, you've got evan mobley and jared allen together on this team like what uh, i mean unless you're like memphis or something like what other team can get away with having two small guards other than than this one and just the question to me is you mentioned some of their challenges in terms of money like where is and they already blew a first round pick on levert now uh mm-hmm. I, although actually now it's uh gonna get pushed over to next year because they didn't make the playoffs amazingly good call on that one by the way uh 
but like where else are they getting this secondary ball handler and i think you know as mobley develops into a better offensive player maybe you don't necessarily need to close with sexton all the time but like they're just that's but that so that's that's what i'm paying him as though i'm paying him to be like my sixth man my jordan clarkson like that that's what he is well okay how much does clarkson make like 15 million i think i think he's better than clarkson especially when you consider just overall inflation going forward i think i think clarkson is way more valuable defensively if you can believe that yeah i I think sexton can at least be like clarkson clarkson makes 13 this year by the way yeah against small but i i think i would go seven for him i I think i would i i would i would make that offer i think i i would go and maybe you could get a little non-guarantee in the end or something like that but i i would go in the 60 to 70 million guaranteed range for colin sexton like like, because i think there is actually some upside there john like i i think Mm -hmm. just the the season that he had with on just a terrible offensive team Mm -hmm. two years ago to be above league average in efficiency average 25 points a game like i realize he's not setting up a ton for his teammates he's one of the worst high usage passing guards his size that's ever existed i still think he can get better there like i think he he has a good attitude like he wants to improve i i actually think that contract has a little bit of upside potentially at 17 huh like sometimes you're just too good of a score that it's actually it's just worth it in the end and like i would like him better as a fit on say detroit with like Cade cunningham and i would Look, i would actually consider if detroit can't get brunson i would consider an offer sheet for him okay that was the next thing i was going to ask is what other team would make sense to make make a run at him above the mid-level because there's only a few teams with caps i I mean jake jake fisher mentioned i think indiana and you know that's that could just be kind of agent hey we've got something there could be you know it could be one of these uh on the first day of free agency mark spears is tweeting out oh this guy received received interest from these five teams as like the you know the 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 favorite tweet which i don't mean to single out mark everyone does that but uh received interest from these five teams which means oh wait you don't actually have an offer yet (laughs) from any of these teams you know we could be in that situation but yeah, I guess I'm actually higher than uh, on Sexton than, than most people are. Um, okay, I'm going to do my first one here. Okay. This is our most interesting trade or free agency. I think I got to go with Bradley Beal. And, really? Well, so I, I actually talked to Tommy Shepard on Dunk Don yesterday. Okay. And we talked for about 25 minutes and I straight out asked him. How many, but before you get to that, how yeah. many uh, country or farm metaphors did he use in this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> I I love Tommy. Uh, he he. Oh, he's great. He's was, great. He's great. By the way, I love talking to him. I'm just I'm just yeah, I'm just being a smart probably, ass. Probably probably I would say four. Okay. Okay. Would would, would be about it. I I'll have to go back and listen. Actually, that that but, I think that was the Vegas line coming in. Yeah. Is calling it Vegas instead of Vegas? Is that would, would that be considered country as well? I. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or is uh, your your other city name that seems to get people's uh, ire aroused is when you call it Oak City. But given given your where, playoff history with that where, city, where, I think you can you don't really mind if you piss people off there. Wait, what, why do they object to Oak City? <laughs> I don't know. I think just nobody calls it that. It's the same way as people people in San Francisco when you call it San Fran, they get pissed off about that. Or I, I, found I thought that they hated Frisco there. too. Yeah, Frisco is is even worse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, San Fran, but. Yeah, nobody calls. They just call it like the city here. If you live, right? If you live in in the Bay, and that's that's why uh, those old Warriors uniforms, which are unbelievable, uh, have the, ci- the city. Yeah, they say on. the city on them, right? Yeah. yeah. So 
so but anyway but back to bradley beal i asked tommy straight out would are you going to offer bradley beal the most that you you can offer him that maximum contract which is five years little under 250 million dollars depending on where the cap comes in this year and of course he declined to answer that which i i fully expected Mm -hmm. that that would be the case and but you know he he could answer it like he there's nothing legally stopping him from answering whether you plan to make someone on your own team right now an offer you know you can say that um you know you could even say we will do everything in our power to keep him something along those lines but you know he he, as i expected him to you don't want to comment on those negotiations but also if it were no-brainer you're just going to offer him the max you know maybe you would be a little stronger on that sort of thing so i it really is now put up or shut up time for ted leonsis as it was with michael jordan and kemba walker two years ago and they ended up not offering him the full max and if they don't do that does he stay does he start to get a wandering eye does the team like miami and the sign and trade start to potentially be they've supposedly been interested in him for a long time well it gets interesting here's the thing yeah what is his plausible alternative let's say they offer him i don't know four at the max but maybe the raise on the fourth year is flat and the fifth year is a partial or something like yeah like like the the demar Derozan from 2016 contract where just overall it ends up being like 15 million less than the max over five years yeah what what is his alternative like who is he who is he because you're saying oh he could do a sign and trade well no he can't unless unless Washington is like okay so what what is his plausible alternative well I mean Miami could make it worth their while they have the assets I think to do it like you put Tyler Hero in that deal it I think it actually does kind of start to make sense I mean this is this is the deal Washington should have done two years ago and has been resisting the whole time so well I, obviously obviously yeah and so I think I mean I've I've been operating under the assumption that Beal is going to take the bag and then worry about his next destination later yeah yeah I guess the issue is just just whether the bag is actually large i i think i it's the only place you can get the bag is 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 still the thing um i because i don't i don't expect washington to be very cooperative on signing trades yeah maybe the thinking would be uh, yeah it just when guys don't want to be there it just seems like it rarely actually happens like it, like he's gonna grit his teeth and sign a contract there it just doesn't i, I don't know I, but, yeah we'll i i think he's pretty open-minded about staying there and being the guy yeah the, well but do you feel like the guy when they're not actually offering you the most that you can get at, at age 29 theoretically in your prime still theoretically an all nba player although uh the reality of that was not the case last year because the the only alternative i've ever heard anyone mention with any seriousness for beal is boston because him and tatum are like homeboys from st louis oh yeah forget and that now that's yeah, completely no out the window now right man that would be a monster team though if he got there in some way but yeah i mean i don't i don't think that boston could come up with the best deal in a sign al horford finally going to to washington after he was the, they were second for him in 2016 so yeah, the horford porzingis front court all right sorry i'll stop okay who's uh your next most intriguing free agent or trade candidate this off deandre yeah yeah he was uh, he was on my list uh, as well we talked about him a fair amount already when we talked about uh, where phoenix uh, goes but anything you kind of wanted to add uh, uh, on him or anything you've heard as you've been going around intel wise i mean the idea of an eight and nurkic sign and trade is really interesting hmm. with the number seven pick being included well you can't you can't really do it that way i mean that would take that that would take jumping the gun on free agency to entirely new levels <laughs> 
Well, so what what would be because so, obviously ha- Phoenix has yeah. to be getting something back. Is it like Nasir Little or something like that? It would it would almost yeah, it would almost have to be, right? The the uh, cat mechanics of that are are, are hard. I mean it's I'm, tricky. It's yeah. tricky, right? I mean Well well, because Portland put, has this twenty million dollar trade exception, but that isn't enough for what Aiden's gonna want. Yeah. So I think because I, I do think Portland's gonna trade the seventh pick for a player or try to, but yeah. I also think that they're gonna try to be a player for eight and two. So it would almost have to be a Nurkic for eight and sign and trade. But if it caught, co- I mean, it would probably cost some Josh Hart on top of that. I mean, that's that's the contract. And then Portland would have to, it gets tricky because they owe future first and whatnot. So maybe it's just too impossible to do. But I'm sort of, I'm sort of intrigued by that idea of that. If Phoenix is going to, because obviously if Phoenix lets Aiton go, the question is, well, what are they, like, let's say Detroit signs into an offer sheet and Phoenix is just like, okay, we don't want to match that. Okay, well, now what are you doing? Like you're still you're still six million over the ta- over the cap. So w- what's your out? I think they would be stupid to not match an offer sheet. I know they've like, oh, money doesn't like him and blah blah. Like he had a rough the last few games of the Dallas series. I mean, just like you can't a you can't just lose that asset for nothing. Which I know is yeah. sort of where you're getting this sign and trade thing from. But like, th- what is this team after Chris Paul really declines below an All Star level if you don't have the upside of DeAndre Ayton, which I, I don't necessarily believe in, but the upside of DeAndre Ayton developing into an all-star level of player. Yeah. Like what is what is your next five years without him? Oh, you're gonna get like a you know another first for that's gonna be like in the future, or maybe you trade, you know, even if you were able to trade for a, a Jeremy Grant, you know, another solid starter, like okay, maybe you could still be about as good as you were last year, uh, this year, when you can you know, some of the clutch love will, will decline probably, but you can probably still be in that 50-ish mid-50s range for next year but if you don't have Booker, Bridges, and Aiton all continuing to develop and get better like how are you contending over the next five years like I just don't understand what the theory is. yeah because you're set up for I mean you're basically set up for a 10-year run with Aiton, Bridges, Booker, and Johnson right like you're like that's you got a long runway with those guys and you know Chris Paul obviously right now takes him up to another level but even if they just surrounded that nucleus of four guys with you know 10 Landry Shamits or whatever like that's still a 50 win like second round like that's a good team right and that's kind of the floor if you keep those four guys together yeah and it's just like I realize you're pissed off at DeAndre Ayton right now but and also like if he really has a max offer sheet like I think that's an indication that you'd be able to trade him later also which is the other half it is right now he could just be so pissed off that you matched and you didn't pay him to begin with and that he just like sucks next year and pouts his way out of town because he's not trying you know he doesn't he doesn't seem to be the most like internally driven of players necessarily so to me i'm trying to mend fences with him at least for right now you know offer him a five-year deal that's you know not quite the max but enough that he wants to just sign it rather than looking elsewhere and then hey we maybe we can trade him later at, at that point that would be my approach and again you'd be overpaying him but like what the fuck else are you doing that's also and you know Suns fans who are listening to this know I am quite famous for being lower on DeAndre Ayton than a lot of people and I still remain so even after last year and even during this season as well but it just again like you don't have another viable path to me the the sign and trade for Jakob Pertl isn't the key to the championship I mean all right if you could get Jakob Pertl and like Keldon Johnson eh, okay I I might start to think about that because at least Keldon Johnson has some upside maybe huh I, I don't know how much he's uh, he's 
he's another guy who's going to need an extension, though. Yeah, he'd be another guy you'd have to pay. Any- okay, here's another one for you. This guy's kind of okay. low level, but but he's interesting because I want to see what the league thinks of this guy. Isaiah Hartenstein. To me, John, yeah. he is a guy that I would be willing to offer $30 million guaranteed to to come in and be my starting center. Uh, So I have him as like a full MLE guy. Okay, yeah. So we're pretty much in, in alignment there. I, yeah, I'm guessing with your your numbers, probably like him pretty well because he was excellent in the impact metrics this year. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously a greatly improved player. It's interesting because the Clippers would have him as a non-bird free agent and only have the taxpayer mid-level this year. Uh, I suspect they will try to offer him a a one plus one for the taxpayer mle with a wink and a nod yeah yeah that wink and a nod didn't work out too good for serge Ibaka though Yeah. Um, so I th- that'll be interesting. I I do think other teams looking at centers are, are going to be looking at him and looking at him in the MLE range, uh, especially. Like I I don't know. I don't really see any of the cap room teams like making a big plunge on him. Like who who of those teams is? I, I mean, maybe Detroit. Like I don't really see him being any kind of focus for the Pistons. And then yeah, maybe San Antonio could see him as the Pirtle replacement, and then you trade Pirtle. Um, awesome. Yeah. I, so I mean, I, I think I, yeah. I I think these teams in the in the MLE though I think there's gonna be a lot of interest for him there I think Portland yeah. like if Nurkic ends up leaving obviously I think Portland becomes a team for him certainly yeah the, there are a lot of teams I think that would be pre- pretty interested in him at the full MLE I mean I, I would really enjoy him in Memphis actually like because just to be clear for those who haven't watched him that much he's an unbelievable rim protector like I think he was easily a top 10 rim protector in the league and then he's got a little something on offense he's got this incredibly ugly floater that goes in he can go get some alley-oops good offensive rebounder not really a believer in these threes that he's taking uh yeah he kind of shoots that that like tim hardaway style bowling ball yeah but he's been he's been a fake stretch big since he was a teenager yeah no i think you and i were both at that euro camp together when he was on like the (laughs) next exactly the next generation stars like oh this guy's dribbling around like it wasn't clear at that point that he was gonna develop into like this huge center and like rim protector which you know that's kind of come out of nowhere these last few years that he protects the rim like this but no i think he's i don't know if he's going to close games for you but i think as a 25 minute game center and he's going to get in foul trouble and stuff too but i think he just has a lot of ability to elevate a team's defense and to me for him like i want to go somewhere and start i don't want to go back to la where you know maybe there's a thought that he could be the starting center if they move on from Zubots, but you're not going to close games in la and maybe he just wants to be on a winning team but he hasn't made anything really in his career yet much above the minimum so i i would and you know if you can get 30 40 million guaranteed i think you have to take it if you're him rather than going one plus one at the tax pyramid level which again is all that they can offer would you have uh, him yeah go ahead sorry charlotte could be a team i totally agree i mean there are, as you go through it there are a lot of teams that i think because to me especially if your defense sucks i think he could be a guy that you could organize your defense around and he could get you to be indecent yeah um would you have him or mitchell robinson higher on your board if you're looking for that type of player they're both 24 i have mitchell robinson rated higher uh even though there are aspects of him that i believe in less but just the just the ceiling is so much crazy higher that i, I think you have to roll with that why I, is mitchell it higher Rob- he's just like can jump a little higher yeah i just think he's a much better uh, like offensive finisher rim runner like he's just 
much more threatening with the with the ball around the basket and alley oops and whatnot. Um, and then he's he's a guy's a shot blocker, rim protector. I mean, his shot blocking goes out to the three point line. Um, I think there's some things you have still? to do with him. And like you, I know I it mean, did when he was younger. Yeah, I mean, I, even this year I saw. Yeah. Now the thing you have to convince him is that he doesn't need to be Hulk Hogan, right? Like he bulked up to two seventy this year, and I thought it made him a worse player. Yeah, I think you might be right. Probably the biggest reason to me to have Hardenstein higher, which I do, is injuries. Like Robinson has had these foot issues, these lower body issues that are a little bit concerning to me. And to me, again, that's tied to with like don't don't carry so much on your frame. Like what are you, what are you yeah. doing? Like you play Joel Embiid four times a year, and then the other seventy eight games, you're better off being like forty pounds lighter. So what, <laughs> like what are you doing? Yeah. Well, also Mitchell Robinson kind of at least back in his prospect days was. You know, there's some questions about his work ethic and all that stuff. Um, you know, I think he somewhat dispelled those. Oh, but we haven't seen him in a real offense, like as a r- real rim runner with spacing when he's been on the Knicks. And I'm interested to see if he's got some more mobility out on the perimeter than he's really shown. I don't think he does, like moving his feet laterally. Um, yeah. All right, let's do one more here. Okay. Uh, Kyle Anderson. <laughs> well, I guess we did make this subjective. Okay, what's what's so fascinating about him to you? So I, I think... Like to me, Kyle Anderson and I'll throw Bruce Brown in here too are fascinating because they are very good players, valuable players who don't necessarily fit in teams' definitions yeah. of what they think they want from their role from their secondary. Uh, well, players. throw uh, throw Gary Payton the second in there too. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. And so, how does the market value them? I think because I think the history says the market grossly undervalues these guys. Um, Bruce Brown signed the qualifying offer for four point seven million last year. Uh, Gary Payton's coming off a minimum. Obviously, we'll we'll see what he gets. Anderson, when he was last a free agent and was in his mid twenties, I mean, we signed him for a four year mid level deal, and so I I think he's a starter on most teams, not on the team he's on though. Uh, but I I don't know where that where that money is coming from for him at the same at the same time because it's such a limited free agent market. So I I just don't know how this ends, and yet I think he's a he's a really valuable player. And I think he will greatly help whatever team he ends up on once the coach, you know, after the first three months of the year where the coach trips all over himself, figuring out how to use him. And then from that point forward, I think he'll be a great value. Yeah, he, he is a a bit of a square peg, but an effective one. I, the fact that his three-point shooting has just completely fallen off it, again, when he had made some strides on, in that yeah. is concerning to me. And yeah, I don't know if he is a starter to me on most, most teams just because he just messes up your whole offense in a lot of ways now if you have a stretch big then that's nice uh, certainly and you know i love what he does defensively it's really impressive and you know he can handle the ball i thought actually his mismatch ability particularly once jaw went down was very uh, underutilized by taylor jenkins and memphis but yeah i I just it's tough for me to see him getting more than like backup forward type of money and just again because he's a tough fit around scores or any team that wants to run a spread pick and roll attack it's just hard to find a home for him even if maybe maybe in the aggregate you play him and your defense is so much better and he could do a little scoring for you and stuff and it works out but it's as you mentioned it's just hard to find like that perfect fit for him I think I think he fits best where that like the more he can play with the ball 
in his hands, obviously, the more value he has. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk about Cleveland needing somebody else who can dribble. That might be an interesting one. Yeah, but then you also, like, you can't play him with Mobley and Allen as well. well now, maybe you could play him that's, as the That's small ball floor. for Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jesus. <laughs> uh, so, so what do you think he gets? And what should he get? I, I think I think he's worth mid-teens money. I think he's only going to get wow. the mid-level, if that. I, I would be surprised same, I think, if he gets the I think the same thing with I think the same thing with Bruce Brown. Danny and I were joking that uh, Toronto should sign him <laughs> and bring back Thaddeus Young too. Hey, why not? <laughs> oh yeah, that would be that would be perfect. Yeah, just yeah, you know, Kyle Anderson would be a great guy there too, right? No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like Kyle yeah. Anderson, Thaddeus oh, Young, yeah. Scotty yeah. Barnes. Siakam, five point centers. Yeah. Um, I'm going to predict that Kyle Anderson gets less than the mid level. I'd not that I'm not basing this on talking to anyone, but just the, that I, I find it hard to see a fit. I'm just not sure where his brand is at right now, and less than twenty million dollars guaranteed. The other thing that could could potentially happen, uh, if Memphis brought him back for one year, twenty million with a second year team option. Yeah. See, I see. I see that basically, being more. Basically, like, used used him as a walking trade exception i see that as being money i see that as being more like one year 12 million second gear than 20 but i i do think as we talked about last week that staying over seems like it's probably what's going to happen for the grizz well let's the, look, and, yeah and the size of that contract just depends on how big of a basically trade capability memphis is looking to have right and yeah. what other players they sign because they're they're miles from the luxury tax right now i mean they could they could theoretically give him a one-year max deal just to sit on this giant trade exception for the year right i think that would be reckless but uh th- there's some interesting stuff they could do and they could do it with tyus jones or Jarrett culver too uh yeah just because of this unique position they're in yeah though they i think they need tyus jones as well yeah i, th- I mean if i had to guess I think he does come back to Memphis on something similar to that. Uh, and, and I also like Anderson as a good, he's a good matchup, I think, against Dallas. And he's a good matchup against Golden State. Like, he definitely has always caused them problems. So I, I, I think he's someone that, I mean, because it'll basically be free for them to keep him around, as you mentioned, unless he that goes a, a longer contract. But they have miles between them and the tax. So why not just pay him so much on a one-year deal that it's worth it for him to come back? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you did have I, to go I, to 20 million, why not? Yeah. I do think they'll have to overpay the, the competition because I do think otherwise he'll just go somewhere where we can play. Yeah. I, here, I do want to do one more here. Okay. Russell Westbrook. I mean, that is, you know, there's now been reporting that they want to keep him and they're just going to have to deal, deal with having him around again. And, you know, the big part of the coaching search is how you're going to use Russell Westbrook. And the more I think about it, John, like certainly I'd be trying to trade him, obviously. Yeah. Their only assets are their 27 and 29 first round picks, probably yep. unprotected. You know, how much value does it really have to go out five and seven years respectively but if you really think about it they gave up the number 22 pick and took on you know another what, like 12 million dollars in salary to do the Rus- russell westbrook trade initially and they sent out kcp kuzma and harrell yeah if you wanted to trade russell westbrook for kcp kuzma and harrell right now how much would they have to attach to Ruckle- russell westbrook to do that and, and let's say both the, those guys were had the same you know two years left yeah. on their contract the way kcp and Kuzma did. I I don't think it would be one first, right? Right, right. <laughs> 
and and so probably be two if you're lakers management right now and you're like hey is there is there a russell westbrook trade because his salary is so bad and so big is there a russell westbrook trade that realistically gets us into championship contention this offseason or even gets you into contention for potentially getting home court advantage in the first round like i don't think that trade exists like i think it was just such a terrible trade that even if you wanted to give up two first round picks to get off of him i don't know like what trade they could do because they still would have so many holes even after that they they have no good cheap contracts on their books they just i maybe i i I, and we don't need to get into the specifics of it but just when you think about the value there you know russell westbrook is maybe a 15 million dollar a year player at this point in time that's that's kind of where where i have and i did my spreadsheets yeah Yeah. so we're talking about 32 million dollars in dead value Yeah. yeah one first round pick may not be enough just to get off of that and then you throw not only that but then the value the whole point of getting rid of them isn't just to open up spending flexibility which they're okay fine we have the mid-level exception now you have to actually include the value of good players you're getting back in return yeah yeah so i think i mean to me the only play for the lakers is to take their medicine and ride this out and the only exception to that becomes if that one guy becomes available in a trade where you know maybe something pops at at midseason like it always does in the league right and then you can say okay i have this Russell Westbrook expiring. I have our 27 and 29 picks and we'll give them to you unprotected and we'll trade Westbrook for this star player so we can have three stars again. Like that, that's the only scenario where I see an out here. And... I, I just don't see that one being on the table right now, but I could see it being on the table at midseason. Oof. Yeah, I think you, you just got to see what happens at, at midseason. And if I mean, not, if, if yeah. the contract expires, you're actually in great shape next year. Yeah, other than that LeBron will be turning 39 during that the following season. <laughs> <laughs> and as a free agent. Yeah. No, I, I think really maybe the path is, at, like you're saying, let's see what it looks We'll try to sign some guys. You know, all they'll have is the tax pyramid level, obviously, but let's see if Talon Horton tucker and kendrick nunn can rehab their value let's see if maybe we can get more out of rust this year from a coaching perspective most importantly let's see if anthony davis can be top 10 player in the nba anthony davis again too right because if he's yeah. if, if anthony davis isn't that level of player it doesn't matter what you do you're just not gonna and same thing with lebron maybe lebron will just be done this year right like that could that could, i mean not done done but you know maybe he's more like yeah. third team all nba than first team all nba yeah just get some get some more information and maybe hey if like ever because because to be back in championship contention like about five questions need to be answered with yes then again maybe you make that deal at the deadline tough to move 47 million at the deadline that's certainly the case but i and see if you can bring in role players around lebron and ad if you if you find out that that tandem because even lebron and ad without russ last year was not incredibly effective exactly when you look at the numbers and part of that was because the lakers had nobody else on the team and you know maybe they, they have plenty of playing time to offer maybe they can get some minimum guys who will help them this year but yeah i actually the more i think about it the more i'm like yeah certainly scour the market on westbrook but i it wouldn't surprise me if there just isn't a deal out there that makes any sense i completely agree i i think th- i think they have to stand pat on that unless we get very surprised by stuff that comes out of- all right well that will do it for today's holiday junk we'll probably get into even more of these 
interesting trade and free agent candidates next week because shockingly enough we had too much to say about all these to get to all the ones that at least i had prepared and probably john as well so we'll talk to you all then and encourage you also to subscribe to my podcast dunked on we are doing off-season outlooks for all 30 teams subscribe to the athletic if you're not a subscriber to read john's work and a reminder too that danny larue and i will be doing our live calling of games on playback there's a link to that in the show notes we'll be doing the three boston games for the finals hope you can join us on that as well get a little more analytics x's and o's focused approach to play by play and it's all in one window you don't have to sync up or anything like that you just sign in with your streaming provider or cable provider talk to y'all next week till then